What's up, ACL Nation? It's Michelle Thompson here with Trey Ryder and Anthony Ione. And we can't wait to dive into today's show because we have to talk about our first ever draft and all sorts of other fun stuff. So how was the weekend for you guys? I'm tired. <laughs> I'm just going to say, I think it's going to be different for, for you, Trey. You have to be exhausted. Yeah, yeah. No, no red-eye flights like Anthony last week. But uh, yeah, no, I, it was cool. I got to... For the draft, I got to take on a different role. So many times I've, you know, I've been in front of camera, been an analyst, been a host, been something along those lines. Um, and it was cool to kind of see start to finish and build a production and start to kind of bring those kind of things in-house and be able to kind of lead that effort. So um, it was cool to be able to play with some bells and whistles and and see some of them work and some of them not. And then the ones that didn't, I don't think really made it onto camera. So that's the, that's the good news. But, you know, I think, I think we put a good product out there and now it's just kind of about building on that. And uh, I think it, I think it built a lot of buzz around the, uh, the, the team's draft. So, um, was, and the team's division. Incredible. So it's exciting. You guys did an awesome job, right, Anthony? Yeah, it was definitely uh, way more than I expected. Uh, I can imagine all the logistics you had to deal with. I didn't expect all the cool camera views and all the cool little technical stuff and the sliding TV and the couch and everything. So it was cool. It was really cool to watch and see how it played out. Did you like the my couch. draft chime? The pick is in. Yeah. I was so it. mad. I was so mad. I literally had it on day one. Right. I heard it in and the background. Well, that's the thing. Somebody commented. I saw multiple comments on the live stream after I went back and rewatched it that were like, man, next year we need to have like a pick is in chime. I'm like, what do you mean? It's in there. Well, what are you, what are you talking about? And then I realized listening back to it, that it was so soft that you yeah. couldn't really hear it. So that's when like, but I could hear it in my headset. So it was weird. So, but either way, I made sure on day two that it was, it, it was loud enough for was, everybody to hear. It was prominent, but I heard it faintly on day one. So I knew it was there, but the couch was a funny topic of conversation because Jeff kept saying it is red. And apparently I guess people were saying it was not red and it was a whole topic of conversation <laughs> with the couch. Oh man. <laughs> I don't know oh, why. That, that, that's what you call the Stevie couch. It's the yeah. Stevie couch. So uh, then, yeah, no, it was fun. It was, it was a good then, time here um, in the HQ. Was it planned to wear the same color pants as the couch for Bernie? Did you guys ask him to <laughs> go ahead and do that wardrobe? Oh, no, and, and did you, I don't know if you heard it on camera. Sorry to throw Bernie under the bus. It's the first time he sat on that couch, pants ripped. Oh, completely ripped pants. <laughs> yeah, he's, oh. and they didn't just rip like in one location. They like ripped on the seam on the side, and they're like, oh, on the, I mean, it was like all over the place. So he's like sitting in a certain way that you couldn't notice. But I noticed was, he was uh, sitting oddly, like as if he was like lounging. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it was. Uh, that's that's when you know you can power through on camera when uh, pants oh, get ripped Bernie. and you're still still churning. Yeah, what a okay. professional. We appreciate you, Bernie. We see you. <laughs> All right, so we are going to get into some of the draft specifics here because this was the first one. It was super fun. Like I said, very well done. But also one of my favorite things about fo fantasy football is knowing the <clears throat> grades, how I did. And so whether these teams captains want to know it or not, we're going to talk about it. So let's start with you, Trey. What are your overall big thoughts on how it went? And then let's get into your, your best teams. Yeah, no, I, I, overall, I thought it was, it was really cool. One of the things that I liked most about it was to be able to sit and watch and see some players like just absolutely grinding and getting on the phone and seeing like, like, Hey, who do you want to take? One of my favorite stories of the draft. And I, I'm, I'm going to tell this is um, I talked to Steven Bernaset at the end of day one. And I was like, how did it go? And, you know, how, how are you, how are things going? And he goes, it was stressful because I went in with a plan and I had two picks that I wanted. I wanted to either take Jamie Graham, but I wasn't sure if he was going to be available and, or I wanted to take Jordan power. I had talked to Eric, I being Steven Bernersett, I was like, I, I, I was talking to Eric Anderson right before the draft started and we were talking strategy, right? And I was like, you know, what are you thinking? And Erica's like, you know, my, my, my top two are this person and this person. I thought about these people, but I, I'm not going to take them. And that's someone, someone in Jordan power. 
So Eric Anderson is before Steven Bernasette. So Bernasette's like, oh, great. Okay, I know Anderson's not going to take Jordan Power. So if he becomes available, maybe that'll work. So the draft comes through. James Baldwin goes second overall. And now all of a sudden, Steven Bernasette's like, I'm going to have my choice of either one of my guys, right? Because now that kind of threw out the entire order. Then Cheyenne takes Jamie Graham kind of flusters Bernasette a little bit. And what do you know, right before Steven Bernasette goes, Eric Anderson takes Jordan Power. Now, mind you, when Eric Anderson was up the pick before, Steven Bernasette sent a text message to Jordan Power and said, hey, man, welcome to the timber. Anderson's not going to take you. So welcome oh. to the timber. And who are you thinking of, of, you know, what is your strategy? Do you have anybody that you really want to highlight to get in the next round? As Jordan Power is typing and res is responding over the intercom, the oh, Gushers man. select Jordan Power. And then <laughs> Bernasette said his mind just went bananas because, like, he wasn't prepared. He didn't have any notes. He didn't – because he was just set. And he had – he had, based on the conversations that he had, he was just going to end up with, with Jordan Power. So he ends up – he's like, I just took the best player that I thought was available, Tony Smith. I didn't anticipate taking yep. Tony Smith, but I just took him. But ultimately, I think he had a pretty good draft. But that just – that kind of gives you some insight into some of the chaos that was happening behind the scenes here in the HQ as some of these, these picks were coming in. That's awesome. I mean, I know it's not the same level, but when I play fantasy football, I feel the same way in my draft when someone takes my player. And um, <laughs> the only thing on us that that's high stakes there is like 50 bucks. So I can only imagine what it's like for these guys. <laughs> now, was what are what do you think about Vernisette's team? Was he one of your top? So for me, I think um, I, I kind of get – so I, I went through my draft grades um, last night on ACL Live. But uh, now, I, I mean, I'm still sticking with the timber. I gave them a B. I, I gave them a solid team. They have some up, upside. Um, but I think, you know, I, I'm kind of interested to see, see how some of these shape up. But – Anthony, I think you were in particular a, a fan uh, of the Timber. What kind of stood out to you as, as, as a reason that they were at near your top? Yeah, so, I mean, there's so many ways to slice and dice this stuff, right? I mean, um, and believe me, I tried quite a few. So ultimately what I concluded is, yes, that, that ended up being, I guess I want to give it away towards the end, but there wasn't really anything outstanding, uh, like, a, like a team that was just like obviously the best. So – Kind of the way I looked at it, I start with some data that we had, right? So we said, let's look at PPR because it, it tells you a portion of the story and not all. I know we don't want to talk about PPR. So, but if we add up the top 14 players in PPR on each team, because you're going to need 14 to actually fill a team at, at nationals, and it's essentially going to be your accumulative PPR per team. And to clarify, we're talking about PPRs up through nationals number three. So how are people performing this year? And for those that didn't have that data yet, I pulled their entire 2021 pro season PPR. So we got a good sample set, 200 plus to over a thousand rounds of play for some people. So three teams stood out. You mentioned uh, Timber with team uh, Bernasette, also the carpet burners with Ryan Smith and Mays with James Washington. So all three of these teams were basically right on top of each other for an overall team PPR kind of statistically standing out for the rest. Um, Another interesting data point, there were only two teams that were able to fill their roster with 10 players with a 9-plus PPR. And to give you a, an idea of how that compared, four teams had a roster of half that, meaning their rosters were filled with mostly PPRs of eight. So we're seeing some teams kind of float to the top from a PPR standpoint. But one other angle I kind of looked at is, we have over 100 rookies coming into the league. So I kind of was curious about how does the rookie versus the re re, uh, returning pro ratio look amongst the team? So two teams stood out. Check this one out. Damon Dennis with Lumberjacks and Brett Guy with the Sliders only had two rookies out of their entire team. And then on the extreme, if we look at the Woodchucks, Cheyenne Renner had 12 of 16 rookies on her squad. So what ended up happening is, is after wow. she got past round one, every single pick was a rookie, but two. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I did love the natural flow of partnerships you get with Brett Guy's team. That could certainly outperform PPR all day. Uh, the skunks are real heavy, real top heavy with that dirty style game. 
which we know promotes DPR, which could outperform PPR. I really like that. Um, but like you said, I did narrow it down to two. So I'm down to two. That really stood out. The maze for me with James Washington's team, the top four players are really interchangeable. Bag-wise, strategy-wise, you got Washington, Ruben, Allen, Lucas. Um, Washington and Lucas, Lucas are boys kind of out of the same area. I see them partnering up. I can see him putting the Mississippi boys together at team three, Cobb Hunt. The middle of the roster is really filled with highly anticipated rookies coming out. And then you've got Duell and Schultz, who are clear partnerships coming out of Florida in the same squad or out of the same uh, that would make up a good partnership. And then to kind of break down Burnaset, which I'm just going to give it away now. This is going to be the team that I'm going to say um, has the best uh, the best draft coming out. The team is really stacked in the middle. So Burnaset will most likely jump over his number two and his number three pick, partnering with a number four Richards, who's balling out this rookie season. Both baggers are from the same same area. So that's going to put his number two and his number three, Smith and Hogue, kind of a natural pairing with an elite level, dirty style game. I can see those guys partnering up. Then you get to the middle of his roster. You got a Matt Morton, a Tay Harris, a Turpin, a Victor Glass, and a Maya Cup. Four of those five baggers uh, finished out the season with nine plus PPRs. Matt and Maya through the same bag. I can see them uh, being advantageous to, to, uh, to match up. Victor Glass, I mean, this boy's going to want some carpet in his hand. And you've got Tay Harris out there, who's now Team Ultra. But let's not forget, Tay Harris was a carpetbagger last season, getting big wins against Jamie Graham and Matt Guy, throwing Reynolds PAs. I mean, the kid has a nice roll bag, a nice uh, dirty bag game. I think that he would be a good partnership um, there. And then the team finishes off with three clear uh, matchups or teams um, just kind of as you get to the bottom. So the last thing I want to mention about this team with really put me over the top was collectively they're at, they're at the top of the PPR, not the top. And we're talking about hundreds, hundreds of a point, but they're in that top section of PPR. So Mish, I like these two. If I had to pick one, like I said, I would go with Timber, Team Bernaset. Yeah. We're, real works. quick on the, on the Timber, on the Timber side, some, some insight for you. Cause I know you like this team a lot. Talk to Bernaset. I actually don't think he's going to put Smith and Hogue together. Smith has put... specifically asked to play with Victor Glass. I was going to say, yeah, if he doesn't go Hogue, it's going to be Victor Glass. So I think it may end up being Hogue and Harris, which I still think is a good yep. matchup. Yep. Um, Morton and Cup, I think, are the are, are a good lock. The question becomes what to do with Dylan Turpin, right? Yeah. I mean, I just – I don't know. Um, now, I do like his last four picks. He picked up two pro doubles teams with his last four picks, which was really good. Yep. Um, but uh, as far as my teams go, um, I'm my, my, I kind of got three. I like the sliders. Um, sorry, I like two. I like the sliders, and I like the bullies. Um, I love that you and I approach this completely differently. You looked at all the individual players, tried to, you know, layer on PPR. I love that. For me, I was looking, I went a little bit more gut feel. Mm -hmm. Specifically, I wanted to know, I have to win four games, okay? So I got to win four doubles matches. What teams do I have four teams that are probably almost as good as anybody else, right? Knowing in my bottom half, I may steal a win here and there. Yeah. But on average, my four teams are going to beat you know, everybody else's four teams. So if I look at the sliders real quick, for me, Brett Guy and Azidra Herrera, two top 10 players in the world. There's really not many other teams that can put together two top 10 players in the world that one have chemistry and two like each other that are going to be playing together. There's a team that I think gets a lot of wins. Number two, Duncan Clemmer and Brandon Jones are a top 10 doubles team in the world. So right out of the gate, the sliders have two, essentially, top 10 teams in the world on their one lineup, right? And they all have chemistry. That's a win, win, win. Then if you go down, again, I have two more doubles teams. I have Kaylee Hunter and Megan Maupin, who have a ton of upside. And then I add a two-time women's doubles world champions and Sam Finley, and Rosie Streaker. So from that mind, I have four teams on that left side, four teams out of that draft 
that at any given point can be just as good, if not better, than everybody else out there. Now, on the second half of their list, again, I what the reason I didn't give them an A plus is there are some there are some question marks on that right side. The good news is uh, Jackwis really high upside can be a bagger that really comes out of nowhere. Um, you know, Ron Kugel has his points of, of being a sleeper. Donald Cup, you know, Donald Cup in my mind is not a uh, 15, 14, 13. He's not a 12th round yeah. pick, right? He, he's more of a ninth or an eighth round pick. So I think that was kind of a steal late in the round. The second team I'm, I'm really, really liking is the Bullies, okay? And when I really put this together, I'm like, oh my goodness, right? Put for a second, I mean, any combination of Eric Davis, Frank Maudlin, Berkeley, Pear, Ashton Spieth, Kenzie Beach, and Derek King, you could almost mix and match that entire team. I mean, yes. imagine putting Eric Davis and Derek King on a team. And, and imagine if Derek King is a top 10 in the world, Derek King, like he was the year before. I understand that's a risky pick, but at worst, you got Derek King in the fifth round at worst, at worst, yeah. you got an average Derek King in the fifth round. And he's at similar best, to Baldwin yeah. where he outperforms in doubles. than you actually see in singles. Exactly. So for me, maybe I have a, you know, uh, uh, an Ashton Spies and Eric Davis, a Frank Maudlin and Berkeley pair, and then a Kenzie beach and Derek King. Those are three really good teams but then I have an open winner in Sasueda. I have a Cody Johnson that's a really high-profile rookie pro out of Florida. And then on the right side of my sheet, the players that aren't supposed to be that good, I have Allison Peters. <laughs> I got Allison Peters in the ninth round. The same Allison Peters that threw, what, 40 in a row in an open one time? Yes, yes. Is in the ninth round round i have a usa cornhole national singles champion on the wing uh, single side daniela luna in the 13th round i mean to me this team is outrageous i mean not to mention if courtney coy is any good right i'm banking on courtney coy being bad on that team right imagine if she's good imagine if courtney coy and Derek king are two years ago courtney coy and Derek king Wow. I think the bullies are set up um, right now. The bullies are my favorite as far as a team goes. So you're going timber. I'm going bullies, but I would agree. There's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of fun things to talk about. I love the, I love the kind of left side of the, of the list analysis. Like this is, this right. is what I need to win. These are my four out of seven. This right. is what I need to win. And you're right. Those ones were hot. I like that. I would like to mention that I'm personally offended by the draft because women and the West Coast both undervalued. And as a female on the West Coast, <laughs> I'm personally offended. You think? <laughs> well, I mean, that's where you got the, we talk about the women, women, the women in the value. I mean, sliders took 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 as many women as they possibly could. It looks like. I mean, nearly half. I mean, one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, nearly half the team female on the sliders front. So I thought that that was a uh, certainly a big deal. But even back to the bullies, I mean, Sasueda, like I said, talk about undervalued. I'm taking Sasueda all day. Um, what was amazing is, is that left side was available each time that he, I mean, you could just see his strategy of putting these doubles teams together and it just consistently yeah. was available for him. Yeah. Wild. All right. Do we want to go into the worst? <laughs> Draft. Yes. <laughs> okay. I don't know, Mish. You're, you're not into hurting people's feelings, you know. I know. <laughs> I'll go first even this though, time, though. Even though I'm personally offended by all of those uh, captains, except for Brett Guy. Thank you, Brett. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead, Trey. I think one for me, and I'll make these a little bit quicker. I think I think the Lumberjacks. Uh, too way too much regional bias here. Don't get me wrong. Kentucky has, you could argue Kentucky is the most talented state in the country. There's other states that can be in the running for that, but Philip Hayden was a reach for me. And, and when I say reach, it's not that if I don't respect Damon Dennis for taking his partner, Philip Hayden, but I think Philip Hayden is available in the next round. I think Lester Price is available two rounds later. Yeah. You know, Lester Price did not have a good year last season. I think those were safe picks. He wanted to, you know, 
take he wanted to take people that he knew. Um, John Kitchen was a good pick. Brandon Corwin maybe a little bit of a reach too, but ultimately I just did not I just did not love um, the Lumberjacks. Um, and then the second for me, this might be a little bit edgy, but I didn't love the Cutters. I Eddie Grindersleeve. I, I mean. He took Caleb and We knew that was going to happen. Takes Noah Almanza, I like. Doug Zaft, I don't know. I did not love the middle part of his draft, right? I thought Tubby Cobb, Kenny Tackett, and Matt Ryan were all a little early, right in the central part of that draft. Um, you know, Deborah Odom went before some other females. And although I know there's a Texas tie there, I almost want to see Deborah Odom perform consistently before I get her a part of a lot of other people. Same thing with Whitney Martinez. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Whitney Martinez. I just felt it was a little bit early there on the cutter side. So those two kind of my lowest draft grades. How about you, Anthony? Yeah. Worst draft grade. Um, Mine's going to go to Team Rollers. So this is Adam Hisner's crew. So again, just guys using PPR because it's data that we have and it tells a part of the story. The Rollers had the lowest out of all 16 teams in a cumulative PPR. If we look at the bottom and the top, they were different by 4.4 points in PPR. So if we put that in per person, we're talking about an average. Each player is averaging 0.3 less than the other team. So to kind of put that in context of best team versus worst team, that best team's averaging 9-2 per player, and the rollers are coming in at 8-8. And let me tell you, there's a big difference between an 8-8 bagger and a 9-2 bagger. Another thing that stood out is three of their 16 players, uh, only three of their 16 players on the team had a 9-plus PPR. That leaves 13 baggers on their team in the 8s. There were 11 other teams that had twice as many players um, in the nine. So PPR aside, I mean, if we look at the roster, Hisner takes Baldwin in round two, completely different game strategy and bag type. But then he goes and picks up Harvey in the next round, which I think is a natural partnership with those guys throwing the same bags, kind of have a similar, you know, similar game strategy. Um, I mean, if we're saying creating partners from top to bottom is the best strategy, this forces Hisner to look at his third or fourth round to pick up a Langworthy or a Moores um, who do fit that kind of dirty style game. So Mish, I'm kind of conflicted on who's the best doubles team in that team. Is it the captain and his partner or are now Baldwin and Harvey going to be the best doubles team on that one? Yeah. And, and one thing on the rollers too, highest percentage of, I, I'm going to try to get your lingo right. Shooters, right? They have a <laughs> lot of people on that team that are hard throwers, going to be aggressive. I mean, that team is going to be such a roller coaster, right? I mean, what we talked about, they are going to be some teams that go 7-0 and 0-7 and in some of these. That's going to be them, right? Them and the skunks, right? Them and the skunks, they're going to they're going to be such momentum teams, you know, just riding through ups and downs. It's just it's going to be wild. Right. That exactly why I'm super excited about this. I have to say, I, I, I message you both and said, I predict this is going to change cornhole. So I still stand by that. Um, I hope you're right. Really quick. Yeah. I hope I'm right too. Um, really quick. I just want to mention that coming up at the end of the month, uh, we're super excited. We have the national college cornhole championships along with the high school championships and the USA cornhole U S preview. That's going to be December 30th through January 1st. We're going to have three television broadcasts coming with all those different things. It's going to be a very full weekend. Um, I'll be there. Anthony, you're going to be there. Whitney's going to be there. It's going to be a great time. Anything you guys want to mention quickly on that event before we cover it more deeply in a couple weeks' time? Yeah, just real quick. I think the National College Cornhole Championship is growing each and every year. I can't wait to kind of see how we continue to do it. And this is going to be a year where we're removing all those big names, right? Matt Stout kind of led the first ever National College Cornhole Championship. And then it's kind of been like the slow bomb show over the past few years, right? Sprinkle in a little Blaine Rozier uh, this past season, a little bit of Draven Sneed kind of taking titles. All of those names, gone. Pros, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. So, And even Ryan Fillingham kind of uh, almost came in as a big favorite this year. He's now PDC. So what? What is this year's National College Cornhole Championship going to be? I'm just excited to see who who becomes the next name. 
Yep, same here. All right, let's go into news around the league. We had the Northeast Conference event, and we had the Canada Central Conference event. So for the Northeast Conference, in advanced singles, Tony Smith takes first place, Jimmy Humans takes second, third Storm Hogue, and third Nick Petuski. And Tony Smith had a 9.73 PPR with a .91 DPR. So very impressive. And then in doubles, we had Jimmy Humans and Tony Smith take first, so they were all over that one. Second, Jacob Trzinski and Storm Hogue. So anything you want to mention about any of that, Trey? Anthony is chomping at the bit to talk about Tony Smith, so I'll let him yes. go okay, first. Tony, go. Was it obvious? <laughs> was I itching? Was I like twitching? My, my bad. My bad. I should have known. Um, yeah, so I said it a couple weeks back, and Trey, you lead it into it earlier. I'll say it one more time for emphasis. Tony Smith is a shooter. So <laughs> that, finals match, that finals match between Tony Smith and Jimmy Humans was a landslide. If that version of Tony Smith shows up to Nationals number one, you're going to see him in the finals on a linear broadcast battling it out for a singles championship. He's absolute fire. We don't need to talk about PPR with a guy like Tony Smith. I know you mentioned uh, the PPR earlier on that one, Mish. This is the guy who's going to play a chess-style game. He's known for his elite-level roll bag and arguably the best roll bag in the game. Arguably, he's at least top three. And what he's capable of doing is way more than what we simply call roll bag. So maybe to get a little bit more technical and, you know, okay, cornhole science is going to come out for just a little bit because I want to really break this down for people. Tony Smith has your classic roll bag, which for, for baggers out there that don't know, you're coming in uh, in a Papa Willie position, really backloaded. So the back of your bag hits first and you get this momentum shift from back to front, which allows the back edge over front edge to kind of give you momentum and you'll roll over stacks. Tony Smith takes it further than there. He has different types of roll bags or what we call bounce bags or lift bags. So he also has what we call a bounce bag, which is instead of landing, landing really back heavy, he mocks the angle of the board perfectly and he lands absolutely flat on the board. And what happens is, is, you know, the laws of physics will say you get an equal and opposite reaction. So the bag actually lifts or jumps or bounces over bags without rolling. And then he has the ability to put slight tilts on these things. So his go-to bag is actually a bounce style bag that moves right to le left. And what I'm starting to call it is a lift bag because he doesn't really roll. All he does is, let's say you have a blocker in the middle. He'll put that back tilt on it with a slight right tilt, and he just lifts the right side of the bag. So when it hits, it lifts, excuse me, the left side of the bag, and he'll get over blockers just by lifting, and then he has that right-to-left motion. So he has more he has more subgenres, if you will, to the roll bag um, in, in, his, in his toolbox than, than people that just don't know. So I know that was a long-winded description, but I really wanted to describe how badass Tony Smith was and, and how he's able to manipulate that. And we see those subgenres of roll bags with guys like Duncan Clemmer. If you ask him, he's like, oh, I've got a couple different types. Eric Davis, to name a few. So for the viewers out there, check out that singles final on Woohoo Cornhole. My man Tornado on the mic. It really gives you a good feel of what a guy like Tony Smith is capable of demonstrating an elite-level dirty game. So Tony Smith is good. You, I was like, you just talked about good. There was I that one that, game where, did you see Anthony when he shot just airmails only? He said he hit sixteen yes, airmails in a row. I did. I mean, we're he not. You're just talking about one of his shots. Yeah, I think everyone else was playing a normal game, right? And he was going airmail only. Is that the one you're talking about? Airmails only. Won and he almost, he almost won. won it. Absurd. <laughs> Absurd. Absolutely. Um, at the Canada Central Conference, first place was Dean Lang, second Brandon Brown. And then for doubles, we had Dean Lang and Tim Sanchi and Jamie Cowan and Steve Pohl. So awesome seeing the other countries getting involved here. Super excited about that. Um, but now we have a very special uh, guest coming on with us. So we are going to uh, bring on Cheyenne Renner to the show and we can find out about her draft experience and all of that good stuff. So welcome Cheyenne to the show. Thanks for having me. Sorry, it's boring. I don't know if you guys can hear it. <laughs> What's up Cheyenne? What's up with the ladies just having terrible weather today while they're trying I to call know. in? <laughs> it's one of those things. Oh my goodness. All right. So um, we are super excited, Cheyenne, that you're here. Uh, we had our first ever draft. You were there in person. So what was your experience like? 
Um, the draft was a very different experience for me. I had talked to Bernie before the draft, and it I didn't I don't feel like I had a disadvantage in the draft, but I also didn't fully understand how it worked. Um, like I knew it, how a draft works, but I didn't know the different options, and I, I tried so hard to think about it all week, and I just, I kept getting frazzled, and I just couldn't. No, Cheyenne, I get it. I remember my very first fantasy football draft, and I imagine it was that times <laughs> 10, so I, I totally understand. Um, yeah, I get it. Trey, what what do you uh, want to jump in with with Cheyenne? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I thought Cheyenne, I, Cheyenne, you got one of my better draft grades. You got a B plus on my draft grade. So, I mean, you were, you, you, you had a pretty good team. So I thought, you know, just looking at your team here, you know, obviously you took, you took Jamie Graham. I, I guess the first question I wanted to ask is, is you took Derek Holland with your second round pick, which I thought was actually a pretty good pick. And part of the reason I want to ask is, was there any, intention to take Derek Holland because he was there in the facility to almost act as a helper or was it really you just felt like Derek Holland was the best available person at that time um I feel like it was more that I feel like he was the best available at the time now it was great that he was there because he did sit with us most of the draft and put his input in which is great because Actually, as the draft was going, I started the group chat and I was talking with everyone that I had put on it and getting their input because you never know, like, I have a lot of West Coast players. I do know most of them, but some of them I don't know as well, and they do. So they always, they put their opinion in and I felt like that helped a lot with mine. So, so what you're saying is when you took, when you took Morgado, I'm assuming that Morgado Mason, did he have a lot of influence on taking Nick Williams? And then subsequently, you know, towards the end of the graph, your, your, your Kevin Nellis, your Andrew Labrador and, and the Cell Myers, is that what ultimately led to the, to the strategy there? Yeah. Um, I mean, Mason didn't particularly pick out Nick Williams. Uh, Derek actually had a lot of input in that as well. He knows uh, Nick Williams in his game. So I was like, they get, they know it. I'm just gonna go ahead and do it. Yeah, Nick Williams is an incredible shooter. I've, I've yeah. met him and seen him throw live, so that was a great pick from the West Coast girl over here. How about you, Anthony? What questions do you have for Cheyenne on her draft? Yeah, before questions, I mean, <clears throat> I just want to jump in and kind of help our newer viewers maybe understand how special this interview is and who we're talking to. So. Let's talk about Cheyenne Renner and what she's accomplished. She's the 2021 Women's Singles Shootout Champion, the reigning Women's Singles World Champion, a three-time Women's Doubles National and World Champion, and she's got a co-ed World Championship in there. And if we talk about this year, in the, her first two open appearances, she's six for six, placing in the top five in the three major events, which are going to make up open singles, doubles, women's singles. She's batting a 1,000 winning the singles brackets, um, with a first in doubles and a first in women's singles open. So a very special uh, guest here on the show. I just wanted to recognize all of that. And I think we're way past talking about Cheyenne as the best women bagger in the world. And we're really starting to talk about her as just a best bagger, period, in, in the entire world. So I really wanted to kind of make note of that. So Cheyenne, you my question. Your, have you updated your resume? Would you want Anthony to write your resume for you? He just Cheyenne? wrote it. That was pretty good. That was a pretty good. That was a pretty good resume. <laughs> just transcribe what he just said. You're good to go. Yeah, very impressive stuff. So my question for you is going to be focusing more on that and less of the draft. So we've got this huge influx of new talent, um, as well as increasing talent. Everyone's just getting better in the league, and we're seeing a trend of some of the elite pros either kind of stalling out or actually falling in the ranks, but not you. You're actually running up the ranks during this time. So I was real curious, is, if, is there something in your, maybe you changed a pitch technique or your strategy is a little different or how you're building mental toughness or just something in there that you're doing differently now that's possibly the reason why you're trending up like you are? Um, I don't really feel like I'm doing anything different. I'm still practicing about as much as I do, which is just really playing in local tournaments in my area. Um, but I really do feel like it's all a mentality thing for me. I finally proved to myself that I could get over the hump because quite a few nationals last season, 
I finished at the same exact spot in singles. And that's been my goal was to actually like win a singles bracket, but I kept getting stuck at that point. And then once I finally came over that, I realized I could do it. Okay. Yeah. So maybe like some more, like a, maybe more of a, I don't know. You feel, seems like you have more confidence or you've got more like mental toughness going into, into matches. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it was wild. I almost asked the same question, Anthony, because when I look back, it was like, if I go back to 2020, Woman of the Year, Cheyenne Renner is playing Maya Cup for yes. a Woman of the Year title, right? And I think uh, the, the finals was not a surprise, but I mean, it was kind of like, oh, okay. Whereas now if I had said Cheyenne Renner was, was in the finals, you'd be like, that's a given. So what I'm getting at is rewind a year and a half or a year and a couple months. Cheyenne's playing in a place where if she makes the finals, it's like, oh, good for Cheyenne. And it's not an expectation. Something changed. And I think, and I forget when it was in the spring, but I think the first time that I heard people chirping that Cheyenne Renner was not here, but here was when you won that conference event and you swept everything at that conference event. And so Again, I feel like I almost, in a way, am asking the same exact question. But was there anything about get, going into that particular event? Was there anything that that clicked that made you just say, "Okay, now I'm, now I'm just doing something differently"? Because for me, it almost seems like you you were slowly, 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 and then something happened that just that just made you take off. I just feel like it was all the confidence in myself. I felt like I was always kind of like middle of the pack. And then once I did it, I just felt so confident that I could do it and do it again, not just do it one time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she yeah. broke the glass ceiling. And from a like the way that the mind works is that you have these ceilings that you create when you haven't done something. And even if everybody else does it, it doesn't matter to your brain because you've never done it. But the minute you can push through that and you have to use many different strategies to push through it the first time. But once you do it once and there's that story about I think it was do you guys remember that story about the mile like nobody could do a mile in under a certain amount of time. And it went years and years and years and years where nobody could beat yeah. that. And then it, one person did it and then everybody did it. So that's what we're seeing. At least that's what I'm seeing from a psychology standpoint with Cheyenne. She broke the ceiling. And then now there is no ceiling. <laughs> There's just no more. She's good to go. Awesome. On top of that, like now that she's one of the only females that are out there just slaying all the guys, when she, at least what it looks like for me, now when you play the other women who aren't doing that yet, it's kind of like a given. Like, oh, well, I, yeah, of course. Like I'm beating all these other people too. Um, at least that's what I'm viewing from my perspective. I don't know if that's how it feels to you, Cheyenne. Yeah, I got a so question one for yeah, go, go ahead. ahead, Anthony. Um, so since we were kind of talking a little bit about technique and bags uh, in the Tony Smith discussion, I'm kind of on that train now. Um, I have a question for Cheyenne because there's a huge population of people out, uh, baggers out there that love to talk about technique and pitch technique and stuff like that. So let me just grab a bag here. Um, <laughs> one of your many. <laughs> yeah, just get one off off air here. So, <clears throat> so we have two main types of grips in cornhole and one of them uh, I called the butterfly grip. I don't know, a couple years ago and that seemed to stuck. So I'm just going to talk about that one. And basically you're going to have a really strong thumb press in the middle and, and most baggers will be really low in this bottom corner. You see like a Noah Wooten, actually his pinky isn't even on the bag. It actually curls off the bag like this, but Cheyenne Renner does something completely different. She actually sticks this pinky out straight like this. So it's not even touching the bag. So I had a question for you is, is that something that you're conscious of and has evolved in your technique? And do you find that helpful? Or what, what can you give us on some insight in your, because no one else does that, that sticks out like this. What are your thoughts on that? No, it's so funny because when you sent me the picture today, I was like, oh, it really does that. <laughs> <laughs> I know put onto the bag, but I never realized how straight it was. It's not something I consciously do. I okay. Guess. That is wild. How do yeah. you know? How do you notice that stuff, Anthony? Oh, oh my man, God, I don't know. Gracious. I don't You're know. But, <laughs> but what it does, what it does for for um, for baggers is the lower you are in this bottom corner, you're able to basically steer the bag 
in angles and loads is better. You're able to basically steer the bag better. So I got one more. I got one more for Cheyenne. So, you know, the past couple opens, unbelievable performance, you know, and even in singles, winning both brackets, then made it to the final eight, came up a little bit short. Um, did 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 fatigue play any any factor in in those roles? I gave you the excuse last week on on around the ACL because you played about ninety rounds in three games with Bobby Hunt and then off into Jamie Graham. I mean, does it, did that play a role in, in any of these performances at some of these open events? Um, not necessarily in Cincinnati, but I do feel that way in Virginia Beach. The boards were a little bit more sticky, like you had said. For my liking, gets tired by the end of the day. And mentally, I was a little fatigued after playing Bobby Hunt 50-something rounds in the finals and then having to play Jamie. And I'm starting out 10-0 to in the first few rounds. I'm like, oh, my gosh. But, yeah, I, I definitely think fatigue. But that's not really an excuse. You know what I mean? Uh, Cheyenne, I'm giving you all the excuses in the world. I'm, I'm handing them to you. You can take any excuse you want from me. It's it's reality, right? I mean, that's a long day physically, mentally, emotionally. I mean, so I don't think it's an excuse. I think it's reality. Um, unfortunately, it was the the, the the you know the cards you were given. Um, but it's been awesome having you on. Like Anthony said, uh, what you've accomplished is incredibly impressive, especially in the short period of time that you've done it. Um, so we so appreciate you representing the sport, representing women, breaking through the ceilings for everybody else. So thank you for doing all the hard work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Cheyenne. Appreciate it. Good talking to you. We'll see you, Cheyenne. See ya. Well, that was awesome. And thanks for writing her bio, Anthony. That was super helpful. And yeah. <laughs> now we'll get into it by yourself. Um, we're going to talk about some things and um, you're going to let me know if you are going to buy or sell. So the first one being the slider strategy of targeting doubles teams will prove to be a fruitful strategy. What do you think, Trey? Buy or sell? Buying it. Buying it. Whoa. I already said I love the I love the double strategy. Um, right. I, I think like I think the sliders are in my top. They're in my top two, I think. Um, I still think the bullies are a little bit better, but I really think targeting those doubles teams um, is is going to be something that's 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 really what I'm interested to see. And this is one little tidbit before Anthony buys ourselves. Who's going to be the first team to pair all of? The, let's go back to our left and right side, right? Who's going to be the first team to take all of their left side players and pair them with their right side players? And then that way I have a top, I have a top seven draft pick on every single team that I use instead of one team, one team, one team, one team. Yeah. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to win it in the middle. You know, you're sacrificing the top and you're sacrificing the bottom. I'm going to win this in the middle. I I would love to see that. Yeah. I would love to see that strategy. strategy. All the strategy is going to be so fun. But what do you think of that one, Anthony? Buy or sell? Um, I'm going to buy it as well. So the doubles, the doubles team strategy was definitely focused, but it wasn't at the expense of talent. That that's what, that's the right. key thing here is he was able to pick up those partners, but still maintain the talent level. There's built in chemistry. I, I like it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to buy it. It's going to be, are fruitful. you saying there was good value? <laughs> was oh, don't say it. We're not allowed to say the B word. <laughs> you can, you can drink for that. I don't care what time of the day it is. Um, all right. Number two, the lumberjacks, Kentucky and Ohio having drafty drafting strategy will come back to haunt Damon Dennis. I feel like I know the answer to this one, Trey by herself. Yeah. yeah I'm buying that one too. Um, just too much. Um, you know, I think, there's some talented baggers there, but I just, I don't know. I didn't, That's I didn't sacrifice of other ones. Right. None, another little tidbit. Um, Bernie said the same thing on air when Lester price price was drafted two minutes later, immediately Bernie, Bernie gets a message from Lester price. I'm going to meet, make you eat those words. words. So, <laughs> so Lester right? price was fine. listening. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony by herself. Yeah, I'm buying as well. So unlike the team strategy where they didn't sacrifice talent, I think that sat- talent was sacrificed here to get that regional bias. Um, I'm buying that one. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, number three, it will benefit the skunks that a large percentage of the team throws contraband bags. Buy or sell trade. Yeah, this is this is the toughest one so far um, because I do think it will – it is nice – Right. I think it is nice that they all are throwing contraband. 
I think there was too much of a uh, a concerted effort to get contraband players at the sacrifice of other talent. Um, so in that case, I am going to sell it. I think it actually hurt them. Okay. Anthony? I agree with the sacrifice comment, uh, but I, I do want to put the emphasis on how critical bag type is, and both from a mental and a physical standpoint. So how a bag fills in your hand, how floppy it is, how does that stick side fill in your grip when you <clears> flip it over? How does that slick side feel? If I have a patch, how does a patch feel? That really messes with a lot of people. Bag yeah. attributes. I know the speed. I know the cutability. I know the rollability. I mean, that really plays into your game. And I mean, could you put any bag in a Matt guy's hand or a Jay Rubin's hand and they're super successful either way? I think the answer is yes. But when you're getting down to these really close elite level matches, that one bag or two bags that goes off the back because the speed was a little different could play into it. So I'm going to actually go the opposite. I'm going to buy this one and say that it will benefit the skunks. I'm going to add one more tidbit. To, as as a, devil, a continued devil's advocate, right? I take Cameron Belvin and I take Noah Wooten. There's nothing that you can do to convince me that um, there's any bad chemistry there because Noah Wooten is going to be throwing combats and yep. Cameron Belvin is going to be throwing cutthroats. So yes, they're, yes, they're contraband, but in no way, shape, or form is there bad chemistry there. Facts. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. All right. James Baldwin at number two was a bit of a reach. Buy or sell, Trey? Mm, that one's tough because I'm a James Baldwin fan club like president. Um, no, you're the president. Yeah, <laughs> or vice president if I'm not allowed to be the president. Um, yeah, I love James Baldwin. Uh, in doubles, it is less of a reach. Uh, I still think it's a little bit of a reach. Uh, I think there were other... Uh, you know, players that probably could have gone there. I had him as a late first round pick. So I think number two was a little bit of a reach, but at the same time, I knew it caused chaos throughout the entire first round of that draft because nobody was expecting that. And especially Cheyenne Renner, who had the third pick, she told me I was absolutely taking James Baldwin at third overall if he was available. So when he went off the board at two, that's what caused this snowball effect going the rest of the way. Right. I wonder how much of that strategy was just to throw Cheyenne off knowing she was next. I don't know if that's what went into it, but that's a very good point. What do you think, Anthony, by yourself? Yeah, Trey kind of touched on it. If you look at singles performance, I think it's a reach. But <laughs> if you're talking about doubles performance, it's definitely not a reach. I mean, JB's one of the best in the world at it. Multinational world uh, and world champ, the reigning world's double champ i can't take that away from him. and he did it with a with a non-top 10 pro in singles um being that this is a doubles format i'm i'm gonna sell that it's a reach I, I like it actually okay last one the west coast as a whole was snubbed during the draft bye <laughs> <laughs> michelle's buying it that's all that matters uh yeah i'll, I'll buy it too i think there was a. Uh, a number of players that were that ended up being a steal for some people um, at, at different points in the draft. I think Doug Zaft in the fourth round was maybe the first one taken. And although I think Doug Zaft is probably the best pro in the West Coast, uh, with with some exception maybe in other other places, um, yeah, I'd I'd buy it. What do you think? Yeah, Anthony? so. I'm out of the West, right? And I'm a part of the West. So <clears throat> I, I really wanted to take some time to really look at this one statistically, just so I can give a, a good non-biased answer. So what? It, yeah, it looks like it looks like if I'm doing the math correctly, we're talking about Trey, correct me wrong. It's Arizona, Cali, Colorado, Washington, Idaho, New Mexico. Right? Does that make up your West-ish or West? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of grouping right a couple it. different conferences. Technically, the West is only Arizona, California, uh, Vegas. I mean, uh, Nevada and like Hawaii. But okay, I'm kind of grouping but, but, a lot of but different. Geographically, the West consists of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that actually numbers wise, that still works. Um, just because most of your players are going to be in that that Arizona, you know, Cali area. So we're talking about 30 baggers. We're talking about 30 baggers that make up the pro division that are considered the West. So I scrubbed my predicted draft versus what actually happened. Um, the first round of that 34 was pretty much right in line with I, what, I, what I predicted. Peter Sasueta was one off, one kind of weird one. He went three rounds later than I thought he would. Um, but everything else was pretty much chalk. It was really the back half where almost every bagger went later than I predicted. So 
And I was kind of looking at the picks and where they lay. And I, so my takeaway was, I don't really think it was a snub. I think it was sip, simply bagger familiarity. Familiarity. Well, I mean, you, it was. You, but do you buy or sell regardless of the fact that that's, that's the, the why they did it make sense because they didn't know they weren't familiar with them. But what do you, what do you think of the talent? Buy or sell? Were they snubbed or yeah, not? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually going to say it wasn't a snub. I mean, the the you know the, the logical. <laughs> now I will say there were two baggers that stood out for me in that bottom. You've got Shepard and Labrador. They they're well known. They aren't these new baggers, but they went right. way later than I predicted. Agreed. So those Agreed. individuals, I think, were snubbed. But overall, if we're just talking about how it looked, how all the West looked to the East, I mean, when you look at it in the whole scheme of things, a lot of them were pretty much dead on. I don't think it was a snub overall. All right, all right, fine. Fair enough. All right, we got to go into our hot takes. Trey, what's your hot take for this week? 2022 ACL Pro Teams World Champions, the Bullies. That's my Ooh, hot take. All right, like all right. I like it. Anthony? All right, this one's this one's purely on staying within the draft drafting. This one's purely on statistics again because I haven't personally seen these guys. But we've got Ryan Littlejohn and Brandon Selmeyer. My hot take is going to be they will be the largest. I'm going to say the V word. They will be the largest value <laughs> picks from this draft. <laughs> so um, check this out. Little John finished the 2021 pro season with a 936 PPR. And this is out of 575 rounds of play. Selmeyer averaged uh, is averaging a 937 up to this point, who's also in hundreds of rounds statistically they should have gone somewhere around the fourth round and they went in the 13th and 14th round. There were a hundred baggers drafted ahead of them that were, that had PPRs in the mid eights. So I'm going to say they're going to be the best or the biggest value pick. All right. I like it. And then mine is uh, several times during the draft, Bernie said, this is the most underrated player. And so I say by the end of the season, Bernie has 25 underrated players. (laughs) (laughs) so we had to pick on you bernie just because it's all in good fun and we love you that's it for today we'll see you guys all next time